What's up, y'all? Welcome to Catch the Craze Live. Tonight, we have another special guest, Richard Fregray. We're going to be talking about um, his Kickstarter, Haunted Hill, Volumes 1 through 2. Um, and we'll be chatting a little bit. George, unfortunately, he missed his flight, so he won't be joining me tonight. So uh, we'll just be having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And if you're in the audience, maybe you want to take part in this conversation. Without further ado, let's get this party started. <laughs> Show for independence all around, giving you a platform to spread your word all over town. Cast the craze is the place to promote to your fans with the dream of Medina and Sam the Crazy Man. Subscribe to our show and never miss an episode. It's time to get your man's listen to us on the go. Updated every week, we never miss a day. Join the squad, come on in. It's time to cast the craze. If you are an independent, cast the craze. Making moves on your own, cast the craze. On your grind in the streets, cast the craze. Join the movement, catch the craze! Yeah, George, we did it again. Come on now, now you wanna do it. Catch the craze. Welcome to Catch the Crazy Podcast. I'm your host with the most Sam, the crazy man, Vera. And I am with nobody because George isn't here tonight. <laughs> Don't know why. Oh, oh, you crazy. Anyway, what's up, everybody? This is another episode of Catch the Crazy Podcast. I realized that I was on mute when I was talking before, so you probably didn't hear that first part. My bad. This is what happens when you're uh, running home from work and you got a lot of things going on so before we bring in our guest um normally i would bring in the guest at the 8 30 mark but because george is not here tonight and we usually have the the uh get your meds segment um it's not going to be a, a a get your meds segment because there's no back and forth going on no banter you know how george and i like to go at each other like a like ping pong anyway so before we bring in our guest what's up lou in the house what's going on uh what's up michael san martino let's go let's get it uh, I want to remind everybody, <clears throat> this is the last week. It's the last seven days of the Kickstarter. There's an alien in my toilet, um, book number six. And there's a lot going on with this campaign. Book number six, Peekaboo, I see you. And I uh, just want to remind everybody, there's a lot of incentives. I really, really, really want you guys to get a copy of this book. There's a lot of incentives. So if you're a physical backer, you will automatically will get a free print when you back this book. So you get an eight uh, by eight. Um, print of duty juice and who doesn't want a cup of duty juice man everybody needs duty juice in their life and i'm just saying come on who doesn't want one you need it it's good a lot of vitamins anyway so you get that print it's it's right in your bag now if you're a physical backer at 20 dollars and up you not only get the duty juice you also get two of the samurai trading cards so now you get three free things just for pledging at 20 dollars. now we're 179 dollars away from unlocking the first stretch goal of the two monster duty trading cards right so if we unlock that and you pledge that 20 now you got five things added to your basket and we are 679 dollars away from unlocking the second stretch goal and if we did that then you get 
eight things in your basket on top of whatever you pledge for on a physical level. Who doesn't want that? Come on. I'm you killing me. I'm giving it away. Everything except for my shirt. I give you my shirt too, but I need it. You know what I'm saying? There's mosquitoes out here in Texas. And, you know, my skin's a little sensitive to the mosquitoes. I don't want to get bit, but I'm giving it all away. I really want you to read issue number six. It is fantastic. If you haven't read it, pick it up. Peekaboo, I see you. The world is coming in on duty, right? He, he needs a plan. He needs an escape plan. He needs to get out. He crash lands on earth. He gets into this house. He's got this wacky chihuahua named Herman who thinks he's a jalapeno. He's got Bobby and his friends after him. He's got the janitor talking conspiracies. He's got Agent Doe hot on his trail. He's got Captain M General Goatee trying to find him, right? Because Duty's father, who's the emperor of Uranus, is saying, where's my son? Where's my son? So he has to come back and find him and bring him back home safely. Now, not only that, we got no boo for you catching ghosts of what we do. Now entering the fray, there is so much going on. And that's just half of the characters that are being introduced in this series. And if you ever wanted to be in a comic book, there's only two left. You can get yourself illustrated in issue number six. You know, Johnny Syfax, if you're out there, you were the first one to pledge for this. I already got your, your mug shot already done. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So if you want to brag to your friends that I was in duty, I'm just saying, who doesn't want to be in duty? I was there with duty. We were hanging out. You know, you know, get that tear. There is so much going on. Anyway, enough about duty. I just want to remind you guys of all those things that are happening. Um, oh, added another super bundle, super saver bundle. You get all three covers plus those two prints of duty as Dusuka and Dude Pool, right? You got duty. He's the ultimate cosplayer. So you get those two prints plus the three covers for a mere $35. That super saver bundle. And uh, again, we are 17 backers away from unlocking the backer goal number one when you get a three-inch sticker. And we get $179 away from stretch goal number one when you get a lot of free goodies. And uh, for those of you who are going to be in Texas, November 4th, I will be there for the grand opening celebration, doing a book signing with uh, uh, Geek Out. They're opening up, I think, their third or fourth location in Mansfield, Texas. And I'll be there front and center doing double duty. I'll be signing for my books, but also filming for this podcast. So uh, it's going to be a lot going on. If you're going to be in Texas, come down, get your mugshot on the camera, say hello to the fans, say, hey, what's up? Hang out with the crazy man himself. And while you're at it, get yourself a copy of the book. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And if you show up there, I will have the wheel. I took a uh, play out of, uh, I took a, what, a page out of George's playbook. And I'm bringing the spin the wheel with me to the book signing. So I'll be having some fun there. So you get some, get to win some cool prizes. Again, uh, Geek Out, Mansfield, Texas, uh, November 4th, book signing. I'll be there all day. It's going to be fun. I'll be there with a bunch of other creatives. So it's going to be pretty nice. There's also a uh, an artist from Marvel Comics that's going to be uh, sitting there. I forgot her name, but she's going to be there. Uh, Paulie G is going to be there and a few other people. So it's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty dope. And if you don't know anything about Geek Comics, man, these guys, they got gaming, tabletop games. They got um, comic books. They got action figures. They got all sorts of cool stuff. And it's pretty dope. And I'm excited. This will be my third book signing in Texas at a comic book shop. So I'm excited about that. It looks like you gave George. <laughs> George, unfortunately, George was... I think in Minnesota, he was in Minnesota and um, for some uh, excursion, uh, football excursion or whatever it is with his boys. And so he missed his flight. 
and he has a habit of missing his flight. If you watch, if you've been tracking Cash Decrees, I think George has missed his flight like six times and missed his show. So, uh, you know, he's he needs a, a bookie. He needs somebody who actually book his flights so he can get himself on time. All right. It's unacceptable. It's unprofessional. All right. The people have spoken. All right. Don't do it again. Time out for you. Pow, pow. So with that said, there won't, there won't be a get your med segment, but we will be bringing in our guests. And right before we bring in our guests, we're going to play this trailer. And but after that, we'll be talking to Richard Fregray about his himself and his project. There are many faces to his game, but no matter how many persona, no matter how many costumes you think you know, but you really don't, because they can only be one. And all those masks were there to protect you, for the world is not ready for the one true alien. Duty from Uranus. Collect the entire series now available on Kickstarter. Pledge today. I am your worst nightmare. Believe that. I better scary too. Hey, what's up, Richard? Welcome to <laughs> the Craze. I have such an incredibly relevant story to to your book. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, years ago. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of like I always thought that like being a grown up meant that I could buy as much candy as I wanted and stay up as late as I like, and I've really fulfilled that. Um, but years ago, when I was like maybe twenty. I was, or no, I, I'd have been like 18, so I was still living at home, and I was going on a road trip with some friends, and I was like, I will get the candy, don't even worry about it. So I buy six, pound, six pounds of candy, and uh, then I leave it in the trunk of the car, and then we end up taking a different car. We get back from this road trip, and the candy has all like melted and reformed and melted and reformed over several days, and now it's just this one giant lump of gummy but with all of these little like fizzy tablets in the middle of it. And it's just like a nightmare mess. And so I'm like fucking sweet knife and fork time. And uh, I had some video editing to do. So I was kind of just sitting in one place and this is like long enough ago that I was doing like tape to tape editing. And so I spent all day eating this candy and about, I don't know, two pounds in, I started feeling really sick and I couldn't figure out why. And so I went, I threw up and I was feeling, it was like that kind of like, shuddering like hug the bowl kind of throw up and um afterwards i was feeling really sad because i was like this is meant to be a really good day i've got all this candy i know it would cheer me up eating candy so i keep eating and this process just repeats itself i ended up throwing up like 67 times oh and uh i've been at this point i've been up for like a day and a half and i am i'm not leaving the bathtub i've got my candy in the bathtub with me i'm holding it i'm just chewing on it and throwing up a little bit chewing on it and throwing up i cannot figure out what's making me sick because candy shouldn't right because it's good food and <laughs> for good people um looking back on it now it's probably that it was in the trunk of the car and just like absorbing like all of the fumes as it was like liquid and then recently so i was eating like a lot of like gasoline in candy i think oh that's hard um, but the gets to this point where the last time i threw up um I was looking at it and I saw this thing. I think I was just hallucinating, but I saw this thing crawling out of the vomit and like crawling up the side of the bowl at me. Oh. And it was staring directly at me. I freaked the fuck out. And so I slammed the lid closed and I put what was left of the candy on top of the lid to weigh it down. And then I just hid in the bathtub and I stayed there for like nine hours, just fucking terrified. <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, just in terms of an alien in, in, in the toilet, that's that's my story. That is one hell of a story. <laughs> that is one hell of a story. You didn't you, you didn't go back to see what it was? 
No, when I when I finally opened the lid, and by the way, I didn't flush because I kind of wanted proof that it was there. And like, <laughs> so my my girlfriend at the time, and I cannot figure out why that relationship didn't last. Uh, she heard that I was sick, so she went out and bought me every single issue of Transmetropolitan to cheer me up. Nice. And she showed up, and she like brings them to me, and I explained to her what's happening, and she was so angry at me. She was like, "So you're not sick? You're just stupid." <laughs> um, and she took them all back, but. That's fantastic. Uh, I had kept the the vomit in the toilet so I could show the alien to other people, and no one wanted to see it. So eventually, I just flushed. Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. That's crazy. So now, Richard, I'm reading yep. your uh, I'm reading your uh, your bio, your intro on your intro page, and it says, "Proud human garbage living <laughs> in the filth of Hollywood and making books about all sorts of things, blind, gay, and grumpy about both." Tell That's me right. about that that first opening phrase well i i am not i'm not worthless but i'm <laughs> filthy and i'm very comfortable being i'm very comfortable being the filth of the world i i i want to there's no point in me trying to pretend like i'm better than i am i'd rather revel in the thing that i that i know to be true uh and and live it with pride um i am the i am the person who if I'm at my house and I'm in bare feet and I step on something that I think is food, I'm going to pick it up and find out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> and like, by the way, I've, I've had some great surprises. Like sometimes it really is for, like I found, I remember, you know how like when you just remember something really minor that you shouldn't remember, I dropped a nerd. I was on the phone to someone and a nerd fell out and I heard it like hit a bunch of different things and I couldn't figure out where it bounced to. And it was like three months later, I stood on something. And I was like, I bet that's that nerd. And it was like totally white by this point. I ate it. It was, it was a nerd. Wow. So I, you get narrative satisfaction by living like me. It explains the things coming out the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like when, um, when the COVID vaccines first became available, I was jumping back and forth between Canada and the US. And so there was no record of where I had vaccines. And so I realized that I could just get as many as I wanted. And I ended up getting like 13 in the first year. And I had that and I had my flu shot and I was on prep and like I eat stuff off the floor all the time. I feel like at this point I can get hit by a bus and I'm completely unstoppable. Wow. Wow. That is, that is a, that's a great mindset to have, but uh, you know, I wouldn't risk it, but that's a great mindset to have. But, uh, <laughs> so, but so. I, I won't eat stuff if I find it outside of my living environment or my right. office like if i'm at mcdonald's i'm not going to be like oh someone dropped something like you know yeah i, I think the, the most the most dangerous i've ever lived was um there was a party the night before i was probably like eight years old and they threw the box of pizza in the trash i pulled the box out the next morning and ate the pizza that, that was because it was still in the box. Yeah, uh, that, that I was eight years old, and, and it was damn good. I remember it, but uh, but I felt I felt um, we like because weird. society told you to feel yeah, I felt weird about it. I was like looking over my shoulders. I'm taking bites. I'm like, <laughs> I I love it when um I remember when I was a kid, my family would um quite often get like those like five dollar like chocolate mud cakes from the grocery store, and they always come with that like layer of paper wrapped around the bottom of them 
and I would like sneak off to the kitchen while everyone else was still eating and just like suck on the paper. <laughs> because I actually didn't want the cake. I just wanted like that perfect amount of crumbs that you can scrape out with your teeth. <laughs> like a little raccoon person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Reminds me of my, my childhood days. <laughs> so speaking of childhood, where'd you grow up? New Zealand. New Zealand. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what's that, what's that like? Um, everyone says it's beautiful. Everyone says they want to go there and they want to see all the amazing views. And I'm like, do you have a high quality screen on your computer? Because if so, you can use Google image and have the same experience. Um, I, I was incredibly bored there for 30 years. Why were you bored? Because it's, it's a, it's like an entire country that is a small town. Um, I, I need constant stimulation. I need to live in a big city and there isn't a big city in New Zealand. I need to be in a place where I can turn a different corner every few minutes and see something that I've never seen before. Um, and, uh, New Zealand couldn't offer that. So I got out. Wow. So when did the creativity start? Was it in New Zealand or where you got out? Um, I've always been doing this. So I, I, I learned my parents were like really insistent that if I didn't know how to read and write by the time I started kindergarten, that I'd be behind everyone else. Right. Uh, they were wrong. But um, I learned to read and write by the time I was three. And so I started making books. And I made uh, the, the first book I made, or at least the, the oldest one I can remember, uh, is called Donald Duck in the Haunted House. And it's about Donald is waiting for Mickey. They're meant to go to a haunted house together and look for ghosts. Mickey doesn't show up. So Donald goes into the haunted house on his own. And in the attic, he finds a ghost. And the ghost says that he's lonely because he has no friends. And Donald realizes he has no friends either. And so he takes out a gun and shoots himself in the face and becomes a ghost so that he can stay and be friends with the ghost forever. And uh, I, you know, it was like, it was an eight page book and I would, I'd like I'd tape the paper together and write and draw until the paper ran out, um, which was kind of my approach to most storytelling back then. And um, uh, I, I remember taking it in with me on my first day of kindergarten. And in New Zealand, you start kindergarten at four. Um, and so I took it in and uh, my parents were called in and the teachers were very worried about me and I was in all kinds of trouble. And I was like, I can get in trouble for writing stories. Well, this is quite an exciting development. Um, <laughs> and then uh, a couple of months later, we had to draw a picture. It was a, an official assignment. We had to draw a picture of two people in love and everyone else drew their parents. And I drew Postman Pat and the old man from Postman Pat, um, who he would go and visit every morning, uh, whose name is Reverend Timms. And Americans don't know this show, but it was like a British kids show. It's mm -hmm. just like stop motion puppet thing about a postman who would deliver packages and sometimes there would be fog and it would be a catastrophe um but i just drew a picture of this like postman and this elderly vicar uh kissing and i got in all this trouble again and i was like so i can get in trouble for men kissing and writing stories these are two things i'm going to remember and do a lot of and so it's just kind of been like my whole my whole life um i published my first book when i was seven uh, and it was like self-published. I was, I was blackmailing my school librarian to get free photocopying. And I did a run of 200 of my first comic book. And I sold it at a school athletics day and made 400 bucks and bought like a buttload of Power Rangers toys. Um, and then just kind of never stopped. And now 31 years later, I have my 280th book. So, all right. So, so, so let's unpack that for a minute. So <clears throat> you're young. You're creating your first Ashcan, your, your comic book. 
where'd you get the idea to print it and sell it? And because that's, that's an, an entrepreneurial approach at an early age. What was the influence behind it? You know, where, you know, where did it come from? Well, so I'd never seen a real comic book. Like I knew that comic books had existed once because like Michelangelo reads comics and Bart Simpson reads comics. But like, I assumed because I was, you know, a kid that we didn't have comics anymore because we had animation. We didn't need still pictures. And I figured if I was the only person in the entire world making comics, then I would probably become really rich because there would be no competition. And uh, I knew that I had to print it somehow. And I was like, I was fascinated by photocopying as a kid. Um, I used to love like, like just putting together books and stapling them. And the school had just got this new machine that could do all of it in one go. And the school had also just gotten in a VHS collection that had the same security stickers as the local video store. And so I got uh, 12 videos out from the school library under other names. I got other kids to get them for me. And then I swapped them out for porn at the local video store and swapped the stickers over. And then put the porn in the school library, told the librarian what I'd done and told her I would never do it again if she gave me free photocopying. And because she had really like been very active yeah. trying to get the VHS collection out there. She was really worried of having it taken away. So for three years after that, I got, uh, I got to make my books for free and it was, it was magical. Just pure profit. So you had two options, go the route of the mob <laughs> through blackmail and extortion or go comics. And you chose comics. That is crazy. It's, it's funny. <laughs> I, I like, I forget that these things are, like, I think that's a funny, it's a good, funny story about a kid doing a harmless thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and every now and again, someone's like, that's, that's terrible. And I, I'm, it's the same thing I have when I talk about like how much I love Hollywood because Hollywood is like, I can walk from my house to my office without looking up just based on the different, very specific piss smells. <laughs> and like, I think that's kind of amazing. And other people think it's terrible. And today, because it's the first day of my Kickstarter, I was obviously looking for some distractions so I wouldn't just be like refreshing every 12 right. seconds. Right. So I was having like this grinder hookup with some rando at my office. And we got talking afterwards and I was telling him about a crime that I did when I was a teenager. And I was like, this is a harmless fun story about bank robbery. And he looked horrified. <laughs> and like, I know that look because I've had that, you know, like when you have sex with someone and they, they say something awful afterwards and you're like, <laughs> oh, God, like, you know, my friend Paul is right. My butthole is a camping ground for villainous men. Oh, and uh, like and he, he's giving me the look that I usually give other people. And I was like, oh, some people like the bank, I guess. Wow. I don't know. That is fascinating. That's fascinating. You had two options at such an early age. So, so now, where did you learn how to price it? What, what was the? How did you land on the price when you were going to sell it? Um, I we had just gotten, uh, we just replaced the uh, one and two dollar bills with coins, and I was like, I want because then they were the new ones were gold, like one and two dollar coins. They weren't real gold, obviously, but they were gold colored, and it was you know when they're new and they look so so shiny, and I was like, I want two dollar coins. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it was an eight page book. So I was getting a very, I was giving a pretty bad deal and getting a lot of money for myself. And um, yeah, that was all it was. It was purely like, it, it wasn't even the value of the money. It was how much I liked the look of it. Wow. So now when, you, when you're a child, you go through phases, right? <clears throat> Did you ever break out of this phase? Was this something that you, you continue to do as you got older? Did you walk away from it and come back? Walk me through that. Um I did other stuff on, on the side here and there, but like it was always comics were the main thing. Uh, right through high school, I was always making comics. Some of them were for sale, some of them weren't. 
Um, sometimes it was more like I, I would think like I have this huge plan that one day this is like this is the book that I'm making in secret that will become my runaway success or be turned into something else or you know, right. I'll be remembered for. Um, uh, by the way, spoiler, none of those books were any good because I was 12 to 15 years old. Right. Um, I, I did. I, I worked as a stand up comedian for a little while. And uh, when I was 16 and a little it was 16 and 17, um, but it was I had to catch two buses to get to the comedy club that I performed at. And that was just too annoying. Uh, and then I briefly worked in film. I, uh, I saved up a big pile of money while I was in college and I decided that I should make a feature film rather than do anything responsible. And so I self-funded this feature film about comic books and a feature documentary about uh, competitive Scrabble. And uh, both of them, there were technical problems that basically the footage was unusable after we shot everything. So that was a quarter million dollars that I threw away for no reason. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, it was, I, I, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do right after the right after the feature went away and then that was when a a guy that i had been having a lot of webcam sex with um for about six months revealed that he uh one knew my real name two had been like looking into me three had tracked down a bunch of my comics and had shown them to his bosses at fox and that they were having me flown out to be on set of a film that was shooting in australia uh to like take meetings about possibly optioning these things. So suddenly comics like came swooping back in after like, I, th I think I hadn't, I hadn't drawn a comic for three months because I'd been working on a film about comics instead. And that is about the furthest away I ever got from them. Oh, wow. So, walk, you know, there's a lot of layers to this, right? So walk me through that process. Now you get this, you get this call. It's unexpected. You, you, you weren't even contemplating that going that route because you're focusing on one craft, which would be in the filming. What was your mindset like? Walk us through the experience of that first initial conversation of, hey, the possibility of optioning a, a project I haven't worked on in, in years. Well, I hadn't worked on it in months. months. Um, it was, it was, it was weird. It, like I was so desperately in love with this man, um, who I'd never met in person, and I was twenty-two, and I had really, I'd really tried to like live as much of my life as I possibly could when I was young because I had literally never met an adult who was happy. And I had just kind of internalized the idea that like I would finish college and I would get a miserable job and that would be acceptable because that was what was meant to happen. And this hit, I was like, I, so that was why I made the film was like, this is my one last chance to do one last big thing. And then I'll settle into a slump of, you know, downward spiral until death. And uh, it was, the, then I met this man and was so just desperate to like, connect with him in any way I could and then he found this other way to kind of I like I think for both of us it was a way of justifying why we'd be able to be in the same place as each other right. because I think we we're both very nervous to be like hey remember all those times we've jerked off on a webcam together let's do it in person isn't quite as like uh sustainable as a like an action as as like hey I've got an important meeting for you at Fox right. uh, for your kids book your, your children's comic book idea. <laughs> so it was, it was more like this, like it was kind of, it was exciting because I could talk to other people about it. Now I had this, this, this secret man in my life who I'd never been able to talk to anyone about. And now I could say, Oh, here's a work thing. Here's a understandable established work thing uh, that other people will that I, you know, and so I don't have to talk about 
all the other secret parts. Right. And so the comics were really secondary to that. And then when I got there, it was really confusing because I actually ended up working as his assistant on the film. Um, and being his assistant mostly meant like playing Scrabble in his trailer and having a lot of sex and occasionally having to go to set. And, um, and then when the people who didn't know about all the fun sex I was having, the, the, the executives started, you know, taking me out for lunches and dinners and meetings and, um, all these sudden like big offers were coming in and to a 22 year old, this is like wild. Right. And, um, suddenly it was really unclear of whether I loved him or did I love the lifestyle that I was now living or that I was just out of New Zealand and it was so so much, so much happier. Um, was it just that a film set is a magical place to be? And like, you know, I'd only done indie film and suddenly I'm on this like $150 million thing with like catering and a, a, a masseuse who's going around offering to rub us all. Um, and it was really kind of like difficult to kind of wrap my head around it. And I was okay to just be swept up by it. And of course, because as these, like, as everyone knows, these things always fall apart. Uh, he turned out to be secretly married the whole time. I went back to New Zealand. The uh, three things that were optioned, only one of them actually went ahead. It took two years. The book was finally released at Comic-Con with horrible misprints, and they had to recall it. And I was back to square one, and now I was almost 25, and living back in New Zealand and had to like start over, but no longer having the rights to my, uh, my dinosaur character that I'd been working on pretty tirelessly. Um, and you know, the, now at 38, the same, not the same thing, but like the same end result has happened to me 30 times in larger and smaller ways. And I've learned that that's just what comics, that's just what the entertainment industry is. Like most things don't end well. And you can either be someone who complains about it and then no one gives you any more options or you can go, I will run headfirst at every single thing and know that only one in a hundred is going to work. Right. So based on these experiences for the, for anybody out there who's watching or listening on, on the audio platforms and they're probably being presented with a similar, uh, an, uh, an offer or they're going through those early stages or they want to get their stuff optioned. Mm-hmm. What are, some three things that you would say you must secure and three things to avoid. What would you say? Um, Firstly, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I know that's old advice, but like if they're throwing a lot of celebrity names at you for, you know, like, Oh, I'm not going to say names, but so-and-so wants to do this movie. Right. Don't believe them. Um, It probably means that they talked casually to them and said, I've got this thing. And they said, Oh, that sounds interesting. And it went no further. Um, if you make something happen, don't let anyone talk you out of it. I had quite a few things, um, quite a few times this has happened to me where, uh, an artist or or some other creator will reach out to me and say, Hey, I've heard about your book. I really like your book. Can I do a cover for it? Can I be involved in some way? Can I write a story for this series? And many times I would think, well, I need a grown up to, to sign off on this. And so I would like send them off to the whoever owned the rights at the time to whatever thing I was working on. And without fail, um, either it would st- not happen because like the publisher or film company treated the other person like shit or the other, or the, or they didn't know how important that person was, or the publisher would then come to me and say, by the way, we've worked really hard and we've managed to figure out a way that 
person X is going to be on, on your book. Isn't that exciting? We're, you should be very grateful to us. And you get this thing in your head that says, um, I'm pretty sure they approached me directly and I arranged it, but I guess you're taking credit for it now. Um, and as I say this, I'm looking at the Derek Robertson cover for Blastosaurus on the wall behind my computer and remembering how many people told me that they had made that happen and not the fact that Derek's kid really liked Blastosaurus. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and then in a really just legal logistical sense, hold on to everything you can. Uh, every single company will try and feed you the line of, well, we need to have this to make it worthwhile for us. And you can answer them and say, no. And nine times out of 10, they'll back down and say, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. You can keep all of that as long as we can still make some money from this thing. And you say, no, again, because the thing is, companies know how to make money. That's why they're companies. Mm -hmm. And they know a million different ways to make money from your, from your stuff. Uh, never let an editor pretend to, like, unless you're friends with an editor before you start working for them, an editor is not actually your friend. They are, they're still going to put their job in the company first. And, uh, you know, you, you will always get your feelings hurt. It's a, it's a little bit like, like transference with a therapist. They don't really love you. Yeah. So just, just keep your distance, keep a hard armored shell around yourself at all times. And, um, just be, ne never trust anyone a hundred percent. Right. So based on, those experiences, how do you maintain your focus? Um, I don't sleep very much. Um, I have nothing else that there's no other thing in my life that I care about as much as comics. And I, I, I wish that wasn't true. I wish that I could say that I like love my friends and my family <laughs> as much as I love comics and they're a close second, but like comics are just number one all the time. And I, I work from a level of obsession always. Um, and if, if, if that, if that isn't there for you, like, it, it, you know, I was saying telling an awful story and, and I, I think it's great and other people think it's terrible. Um, I often tell people about this time that I didn't read a contract and, uh, I was like, basically a company that I was working for were about to declare bankruptcy because they were being sued by one of their other creators, which I didn't know about until it was too late. And suddenly I was like out of work with no notice and, uh, another offer came in. I signed a very bad deal, but it was like a stopgap thing. And I had pitched to them three 64 page graphic novels. They came back and said they only wanted two, but they'd meet my page rate. So I was like, sure, signed it without really reading it. Um, when I started working on it, it turns out they wanted two books, each containing three 64 page stories. Oh, wow. And so the deadline that they had set for me was like, it was 97 days start to finish on the first book. And this is written, drawn, colored, everything. And so I'm, I moved into my office full time, bulk ordered water and food and adult premium body wipes um, that turned out to give me a bad chemical burn somewhere we won't talk about. Um, and I just worked day and night. I took a lot of Ritalin. I kind of lost my mind a little bit. I just lived in these characters heads. And um, the end result is, I think, a, a pretty good book. It's a bit sloppy in places and uh, there's some stuff I'm unhappy with, but everyone else seems to like it. But when I, when I talk to people about it and tell them about like hiding from the security guards, cause I'm not meant to be at this office overnight and things, they look at me like that's a terrible story. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you this amazing story about the time that I got to have a like nine week slumber party with all of my best friends, by which I mean the characters that I made up. This was the best time I've ever had making comics. 
Uh, and I think that if you don't, if you don't hear that story and think, oh boy, I want to do that, then like comics could make you miserable really easily. I mean, I can see a sitcom or a movie based on just that, those nine weeks that you spent in there in that whole journey. Um, you ever consider writing that story? Um, that one, no, because it's, I think I'd get too bored setting it in one one room. Um, I, I did do a memoir earlier this year that's about 18 months of my life, uh, but but that was sort of far broader and involved a lot more boat theft and sex clubs. <laughs> I mean, I just I just when you started talking, I started envisioning, you know, you know, stocking up. You created this big surplus of of food and you're grinding and then you're sneaking in the hallways dodging security i mean just i can see it in my head you know what i'm saying so uh good good job on your part telling a, a really vivid story pretty fantastic um so you you so a lot of lessons you know what i'm taking away that there was a lot of lessons so what was it about why did you blindly accept and sign the contract was it because you you felt that they were going to be honest yeah, I mean, this is this was kind of my ultimate lesson about never trusting that an editor is your friend. Um, I had a few years earlier, I'd been working uh, for a uh, I was doing picture books for a little while. I have 11 picture books and um, I was publishing them myself. I had a company called Square Planet uh, in New Zealand and they were doing really well. And then we got an offer for one of them from this American company. And basically I didn't look into the company. They're a kid's book company. How bad can they be? Right. And the money was fine and the deal was fine. And, um, I signed on and then, and suddenly my book became their highest selling book and they were like doing multiple reprints. I ended up doing six books with them. And, um, then the last book I did with them, uh, was a, a feminist reimagining of Pierre and the lion about a little girl who's so well behaved that a lion eats her and she has to kick her way out of the lion and come back as like a fully realized nuanced character and like very like first wave feminist with some Doc Martens. Um, and uh, basically at this point they were saying, Richard, you can do whatever you want. You're our biggest seller. And when I did that, something snapped for them and they buried the book and I didn't know why I couldn't figure out what was happening. And then an editor, the, my editor had left, maybe been pushed out. It was sort of unclear. And she and a couple of other people who had been pushed out reached out and they were like, hey, yeah, I mean, you, you understand why that happened, right? I was like, I, I don't. What's going on? And I said, look up what else this company publishes. And it turns out they're a hardcore conservative right wing publisher who put out books with titles like The Truth About Fauci. And uh, like they picked up Woody Allen's memoir after Amazon dropped it. Like they're awful. And um, I just, I, I didn't know because I was in the picture book wing of it, which was sort of separate from it. But when, you, when you're a gay guy who does a feminist kids book, that is too much for them, no matter how well, you, how much money you're making for them on other things. Um, and so that editor who'd been pushed out there, right at the point where this, other company were going under because of being sued by a YouTube influencer. Um, she reached out to me and said, Hey, I can't give you any details, but I see from Facebook where we weren't friends. I see from Facebook that you're going to be in New York for your honeymoon. Can you come in for a meeting, have a series in mind? And so I went in and we had this amazing afternoon together and we talked and we caught up and we bitched about it because she was like the only other gay at the company. And she talked about how terrible they were. And we were like best friends. And then 
I told, I, I didn't have any series, so I made something up in the room. And she was like, that's great. Yes, we would absolutely buy that. We'll make it the flagship thing. And I was her best friend at the company. And she put my art on her business cards. And then I went to uh, like the Baltimore for the ALA conference. And we hung out and we drank and we talked about stories. And she wanted to buy all these other things for me. And I could do whatever I wanted because we were friends. And then, uh, and, and so like, because of that friendship, I, I let a lot of stuff slide. And like, as it, it slowly got worse and worse until this real tipping point where um, right at the beginning of COVID, I had a book coming out through them and they realized that all the publicity was falling apart because I couldn't do my tour. And she said, we need something. Can you do a, uh, do you have any ideas? And I was like, well, I could do a podcast. And she says, yes, we were thinking about that. Do a podcast of spooky stories. So I said, sure. Um, and she said, like, it's, it, the book's coming out in a week. This is right at, like, the first lockdown has just been announced. So it's real panic. And she said, we can't sort out the contracts yet. We'll get them sorted out later. There'll be money for it. We'll take care of you. Don't worry. And so I called in a bunch of favors. Uh, I, there was a recording studio at my house at the time. And so we were able to do it all safely and everything. And got all my voice actor friends to record in their own studios. And I put together the six-episode podcast series that tied into the comic. And uh, then, like, and that took about a week and a half. Uh, and then I sent off the files, and I said, "Let's talk contract." And then um, they said, "Well, we'll start putting the episodes out right away to publicize the book." And then they didn't really publicize the episodes at all. And I said, "What are you doing?" And they said, "Well, we're really hoping the book will publicize the podcast." I'm like, that's not how it works. You can't have a little Ouroboros there if no one knows that it's there. Um, and I said, and what about the money? And and she said, oh, well, you know, if this one's popular, we'd consider doing a second season. And for that, we'd obviously be able to pay you. And um, at this point, I went, that's suspicious. Oh, but no, but it was someone else who, who told me that. And so I was like, well, still, my editor is my friend and she's in charge. And she came to me and she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know they were going to do that. What we'll do is we'll get you paid. You can do a book based on the podcast of like write out the short story so it's no extra work. If you can add six or seven more to round it out to a nice short story collection, I know how fast you are. It's for kids. They only have to be 200 words each. Um, and we can put that out and we'll pay you. And I was like, how much does it pay? And she says, I can't say anything officially, but here's what we basically pay for a novel for this age range. And it was good money. Um, and But it was nothing official. So I write the book. I send it off. She starts telling me they're in contract negotiations. They're getting the paperwork together, but because of COVID, everything is shut down, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly I see the book has been released and it's digital only for some reason, but the book has been released and they're not doing any publicity. And I say, why aren't you doing publicity? And they say, oh, well, we're really hoping people who bought, bought the first book or listened to the podcast would find this book. I'm like, oh, so, okay, so nothing is helping anything. And I said, and what about the money? And she said, oh yeah, yeah, we finally have the term sheet ready. And she sends it over and it's literally... Uh, they're offering me $1,000 for 13 short stories that I've written and a podcast that it cost about $8,000 to make. And I was like, is that that just tipping point of these people are not your friends. They're there to screw you over and they will use whatever desperate situation they can to justify their behavior. And in this case, it was COVID. And I feel like I was very stupid, but also no one knew what was happening in those first few months. And it was a state of panic. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I I have been I have been tricked too many times. Um, I, I'm very quick to trust people because I think that I think that most people are well intentioned. And as the older I get, the more I learn that even well intentioned people 
um, maybe they mean what they say when they say it. Yeah. Um, and I have to believe that because otherwise I'd get very bitter. Yeah, but I I, I hear what you're saying, and and, it, and 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 for anybody listening, there's there's a um, there's a lot of um, lessons here and uh, in this. It's you know get it in writing, getting it in writing, get it in writing, right? We, you know, it's one of those things where um, um, it's a, it's a hard lesson. I've I've been there, uh, so I know. And uh, unfortunately, those lessons they're there for a reason. We learn from it, we grow from it, we 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 pivot and we adjust. But it still didn't deter you, which is you know says a lot about your strength and and your determination, right? Um, and you know lead us to this point. I mean, you know, talk about you know how you got to Haunted Hill. Um, well, when I was um, uh, like six months into COVID, um, I was my husband was in Canada and I was down here. And so we were you know, separated by the border closures and everything. And uh, I finally managed to get into Canada. And while I was there trying to figure out what to do next, uh, Trump canceled all of the O-class visas, which is what I was here on. And so I couldn't come back. And I was missing Hollywood terribly. So I started writing this book about it. Um, and it was literally that I had two days off between um, two books. Right. And so I made this little six page comic and then the notes didn't come back on the next script for this other book. So I extended it to an 18 page first issue and then notes kept not coming back. And suddenly within a couple of months um, of waiting for notes, I had nine issues of Haunted Hill finished and I was telling this weird sprawling story. It's a it's a it's a comedy, surreal soap opera about life in Hollywood. Um, and I. At the time, because I was still mostly publishing kids stuff, I was not releasing any of it. And then um, I'd written a memoir, and I mentioned earlier, and uh, my agent had read the memoir and she told me that if I ever showed it to anyone, my career would be over. Uh, so I put the memoir in a drawer and didn't show anyone. And then uh, end of last year, my best friend died and he was a pretty big part of the memoir. And he had been really excited that I had put him in a comic book. He'd never been in a comic book before. And I kind of felt like dog shit because I hadn't put it out in the world for him. Um, and so beginning of this year, I did my first Kickstarter for that. And I put it out. And by the way, my career is fine. I get offers regularly to go back to do kids stuff. I have a TV show in, in production now for one of my kids series. Congratulations. Um, I, like my agent was wrong. Uh, everything is fine. And since then I've done... I did so octopus is the memoir came out in january i did a kickstarter for haunted hill volume one in may i did a kickstarter for the ex-wives of frankenstein uh in august and now haunted hill 2 launched today and like the book i'm currently working on is called i'm only drawing danny devito as the penguin until i stop wanting to fuck him <laughs> and like it turns out that everyone who's scared to put stuff out there because it'll hurt other stuff that it's just wrong you can you can do it all I can I can fuck Danny DeVito if I want to. I probably can't fuck Danny DeVito, but I can write <laughs> about it. I can write a masturbatory journal about it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Haunted Hill. Mm -hmm. Walk us through it. Um, so, Eva is a 35-year-old sloppy dirtbag problematizing her way through life in Hollywood. Uh, she has moved back here because her wife got a really good museum job the kind of museum job that women her age don't normally get but so many pe so many old white men have been being arrested for dressing up as monsters lately that there are a lot of openings in the museum industry um the whole approach i'm taking is 
uh, adult human emotions confronted by kid logic. So people's feelings can get hurt. People can be mad about shit, but also if you don't look down, you're not going to fall. And if you change the password on your treehouse, no one's going to be able to open that door. And if you don't tell someone that you change the password and you leave town for 23 years, they're going to be really pissed at you because actually those are the things that people hang on to. Um, so it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a weird rambling story about a character who you are a hundred percent on the side of, but you also wish she would shut up. Nice. Nice. So this campaign, you just launched it um, well, a couple of days ago? Uh, this morning. This morning. Okay. So you're up to 42 backers at 1,200. You're almost there. Um, and uh, you do all the artwork? Yeah, I do everything. So uh, the covers are, are hand-drawn and colored digitally. Um, and I try to go for sort of a mix of visually appealing, but also really off-putting. <laughs> um, that one is based on a line in the comic where uh, when she when – she, finds out that he's mad at her for changing the password on his treehouse 23 years ago. She says, what the fuck did you need out of that treehouse anyway? Your VHS copy of old women who swallow spoiler. They always die when they get to the horse, wow. which is probably my grossest joke. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then all the interiors are hand drawn and hand colored. And then I photograph them instead of scanning them so that it creates this real sense of immediacy with the art. Um, Cause I don't, I don't like, I don't like the idea of having the option to change it. And right. so by photographing it, it's kind of, it's almost uneditable. Where did that come from? Like, where did you learn how to do that? I mean, that's, that's something that you just don't pop up to your head. I mean, where did it come from? Um, it's, it's that I hate computers. And so I just, when it was actually, when I started doing octopus, I wanted to give myself a way of making sure I couldn't change any of it. And so I just kind of figured out, um, I was actually, I was in Canada when I was doing the first, when I was first scanning octopus and I have this wonderful, wonderful scanner there and this wonderful old computer. And the, the scanner is so old that no new computer can use it. It was the uh, Epson Workforce 7620. And it has uh, Epson Scan 1 is the software that doesn't work with anything else now. And it has a professional setting that you just set to photo. And it takes this like it. It's the slowest scan in the world, but it gives you this incredible depth. And it, you know how scans never look like the originals? Right. With this, what I worked out was if I scanned it as a photo and then scanned it as a document and then multiplied it through each other with, with uh, the document one set to 50%, it right. looked almost identical to the real thing. And then I, um, I shared my office at the time with this engineer. And so he heard what I was doing up there and he was like, why don't you just photograph it, Richard? And so he built me this apparatus that I could lock a camera into place and photograph comic pages. Um, so I do a mix of, of the two. And uh, even I can't tell which are which at this point. Nice. Nice. So what can people expect from this campaign? Tell us about, tell us about the tiers. Um, so we've got obviously the digital book for 10 bucks for 15. You can get volume one and two together digitally. And then the book kicks off at, 22 for today and then 25 after early birds are done. There's a couple of variant covers. There's the um, ghosts coming out of the treehouse cover uh, for 30, or um, you can get the uh, thousand and one dildos cover for 30 as well. Um, I, I broke the record for the most uh, dicks on a Kickstarter cover ever with the first campaign with 17 dicks. Wow. And so now with this one, it's a thousand and one dildos. Uh, and then um, there's, my favorite reward is that for uh, for 35, you get the book and a certificate that promises I will never draw you into Haunted Hill. 
uh, because I got really sick of people asking to be in Haunted Hill all the time. And I oh, realized really? uh, people asking to be in my comics all the time. And I realized that the kind of stuff I put in this one, no one wants, no one ever asks to be in Haunted Hill. Right. Um, so you can get that certificate. And then there's also, um, I do the pencils on a separate sheet and use a light table to do the inks. And so for 50 bucks, you can get a page of, you can get the book and a page of the original pencils uh, folded up and jammed inside the book for you. So it's the cheapest possible way to get original art. Nice. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the screen. I want you to deliver your elevator pitch and tell everybody why they need to back this campaign um, and, uh, and then how they can find you on social media. So go for it. All right. Haunted Hill is a surrealist comedy soap opera about life in Hollywood. Eva is a 35-year-old sloppy dirtbag problematizing her way through every moment of life. The first book kicks off when her Uber cancels on her because she has a shockingly low star rating, and she has no choice but to get in a car with some people in their 20s. But we all know that when you get in a car with people in their 20s, drama happens. So what should be a 10-minute drive from Beverly Boulevard to uh, Whitley Heights turns into... Going to a donut shop, a couple breaks up, they pick up a homeless guy, they have to go to an abandoned trampoline park, someone takes a shit in the car, there might be aliens, there might be ghosts, they have to go see a comedy show at a formerly converted grocery store, they break into a house, and there are a lot of cheese balls. It's a very normal night in Hollywood. This is what the day-to-day -day looks like here. Uh, if you want to find me on social media, I'm the only Richard Fairgray in the entire world, so I'm very easy to find. If you find a Richard Fairgray, it's going to be me. The reason you should buy this book is because... One, you're not going to see any other books like it. And I've been doing this long enough that I can just comfortably say I'm very good at it. I've got 31 years of comic making. I've got 280 books to my name. And Kickstarter is the place where you can get the kind of books that you're never going to be able to find from the big two or even probably the big five. Um, it allows us to be experimental. It allows us to push limits. And it allows us to tell stories using a medium that is essentially limitless. And I don't know why we keep putting restrictions on what comics can be. That is fantastic. That is that is the the anthem for the independent community. Love it. Love it. This was a fascinating conversation. We got to have you back. You there's so many layers to your game. Um and so many lessons that uh if you just caught on to this episode, rewind, watch it. Really a lot of good nuggets in here and um life lessons. Uh fantastic, you know. Thank you. All the best to you. I wish you a lot of success in your campaign. Thank you for choosing Cast the Craze to uh discuss and share on the hill. Thank you. You got it, brother. You're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Talk, talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. All right. That was Richard Fairgrave. If you haven't checked it out, the link is in the chat. It's also in the summary. Um, check out Haunted Hill Volumes 1 through 2 on Kickstarter right now. Or you can even go to his website, richardfairgrave.com, richardfairgrave.com. There's a lot of stuff that he has done and he's accomplished and a lot of lessons. Um, again, Play this on Rewind, you know, um, really good, important information and some things that you should um, be mindful of as you navigate in the space of IP ownership. Right. So if you want to, you know, you, you're going out there and you're trying to pitch your intellectual property out there. There's some things you can take away from this conversation. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Again, George couldn't make it tonight. He missed He missed his flight coming from Minnesota. So uh, he'll be back next week on a regular scheduled time. And uh, next week, who do we have? Let's see. Calendly. Let me go to my calendar. Calendly. Uh, next week's guest is. Survey says. Scheduled events. We have Jerry Carita. So Jerry Carita is next week right here on Cast the Craze podcast. The Cult of Dracula 
is what we'll be talking about reign of dracula um and uh, so we'll be having uh jerry carita on the show and again guys <clears throat> i appreciate every single one of you um for all of you gamers and artists that raided my art channel, I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you for showing me love. I didn't understand what a raid was until I saw all these people in my chat. And, and thank you for subscribing and just showing me some love. I appreciate you. And everybody out there, if you enjoyed this channel, please hit that like button. Hit the share. Share it with a friend. Um, recommend Catch the Craze to your friends, to your family. The one location. We are the original independent podcast for comic books. Launched in 2005, the first of its kind. And we're still going strong. Over 600 interviews. Um, and we, we're booked all the way through February. So it's pretty fantastic. And again, you see in the background, there's nearly my toilet. It's my book. If you like me as a host, if you like me as an artist, I would love for you to back my book. Pledge today, even if it's a digital copy, I'd love for you to get a copy of Disney and My Toilet. Only seven days left. And remember, all physical pledges get a free gift. And if you pledge at $20, you get three free gifts. So many things that you can get and take away from this. It's book number six. I worked really hard on it. I worked really hard to put a smile on your face. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Uh, and uh, uh, again, Disney and My Toilet. The link is in the chat. Get yourself a copy. It's fun all ages. Every book has puzzles and games, but it's tense. It's 24 pages of art and story that I worked on and I sweat it over. I write it. I draw it. I ink it. I color it. I do it all. I just have George literate. And uh, so with that said, I'm Sam the Crazy Man Vera. I want to say thank you to Aurelis. Uh, thank you to Lou, Michael San Martino, Bush, 1G, uh, Johnny Syfax, Jason Dub Dubé or Dub. Um, I'm hoping I'm saying it right. Uh, be like, you know, so again, I'm not good with names, but thank you all for joining us and everybody who's been giving us thumbs up on Facebook and all you guys out there in Twitch. We appreciate you. And remember, you can listen to this on the go on Spotify, uh, Pandora or any of the audio streaming podcasts out there. Um, with that said, I'm Sam the Crazy Man Vera. This is Catch the Craze podcast. I appreciate you guys. See you guys next week. And don't forget, pledge to this nailing in my toilet on Kickstarter. Peace. Crazy. 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 You are listening to Catch the Craze. Uh, this is Craze. You're listening to Catch the Craze. <laughs> 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 <laughs>